Carnivorous couch, shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Hey, wake up, everybody. It's cold outside. Get your booties on. It's Carnivorous Couch. So we put your little hand in mine. <laughs> where we do a film a week from two film geeks. Someday we're going to have to change that slogan or live up to it. I don't know. But at any rate, we did Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. <laughs> and because, you know, I mean, it was recently Groundhog Day 2019. So, you know, we went... Uh, we went back 16 years to 1993. Yeah, we, we're no, topical. Tw- sorry, like that. 20, 26 years to 1993. Uh, uh yes. Yeah. Um, and we did Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. Ah, yes, starring uh, Bill Murray and Andy McDowell. Oh my God, Andy McDowell is so cute. And by the way, He's she cute. has a daughter named Margaret Qualley, who was in Leftovers, among other things. Uh, she's also. I see. Um, and H- who was she in Leftovers? Uh, the daughter, Jill Garvey. Oh, okay. Yeah, I bet I'm still going through that show with Ben Stein. Uh, so Andy McDowell's a bit out of my age sector, right? For somebody who would <laughs> like to date me, but Jill Garvey's like 25. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you sit Andy McDowell and give her a nice proposal. <laughs> Listen, I was thinking of having sex with you, but this age thing's probably not going to work, but it's okay. I got a plan that I think we can all get down with. Well, you know I like the Snow Whites. More, more tea? <laughs> you do. Yes. I like Snow Whites, too. Who doesn't like Snow Whites? So anyway, um, instead the of- The evil queen, obviously. <laughs> Well, instead of just making this about, like, leching on beautiful women and their daughters, who are also beautiful, uh, we'll talk about Groundhog Day. You want to do the plot synopsis, Brady? Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, before I do it, I should say, I've done this 50 times before. Every day I wake up and we're recording the podcast for Groundhog Day. Well, yes, and every day I wake up and go to, you know, help the weather people and because I began a, a career in uh, broadcasting like a year and a half ago, I guess. Congratulations. So this uh, actually, this movie just reminds me of work. True. <laughs> oh my God, you're right. At any rate, well, I don't, so, uh, okay, so we start uh, on clouds, which makes me always think of, because he's the weatherman, right? I'm it's, your it's very, weatherman. Yes, it's very much a typical sort of thing that um, movies, these three act dramas in the 90s did. Uh, Forrest Gump, since it's about him floating through his life and us floating through with him, starts with a feather. This starts with clouds, because he's a weatherman, right? Yeah, so, Phil Connors, played by Bill Murray, is a megalomaniacal dickish weatherman for a local affiliate station in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I will quote with you there. Like, he is... The the movie is very much about ego. I don't think he's actually as bad as all the other characters kind of, you know. Well, yeah, I mean... Just kind of jaded and sad and, like, middle-aged and troubled. He he insults people pretty hard, though, yes. in the beginning. Yes, he does. He, I, it's not like a subtle snark he's dishing up. Uh, but it is Murray, so it's kind of underplayed. Sure, yeah. Uh, so Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And as part of its Groundhog Day coverage, the station regularly sends him to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, a tiny town in western Pennsylvania. Blah 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 blah. blah. And uh, that is where Punxsutawney Phil, the famous predicting groundhog does his annual ceremony. And so Phil is sent there to do color commentary. Uh, you know, a nice, cute, cheeky little color commentary about the groundhog predicting the weather. He is not happy to be doing it. He's going with his producer, played by Andy McDowell. Uh, oh, what's her name? Um, Rita. Rita. Uh, and their uh, cameraman, played by Chris Elliott. Rob's leaving the room to go... Shush the dog, I think. Uh, yeah, Chris Elliott is the cameraman. And so they're there to do the coverage. 
Phil hates that he has to do this. He thinks it's beneath him. He's a very snarky man. And so they get there and he kind of half asses through the proceedings, uh, makes it clear that he's not interested in this. And they go to leave Punxsutawney and a snowstorm blocks them. So they're trapped in Punxsutawney for the day at least. And the problem is every time Phil wakes up, it's the same day. You put your little hand in my Also, Chris Elliott, I always remember him. He was in a lot of movies in the 90s, but he I remember him from Something About Mary. Yeah, sure. As, as the one who like goes after Brett Favre. Favre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gets a gross boil on his eye. Um, yeah, it no, suck it, for him, though, always playing the guy that is like undesirable to women. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Like in this, he does as well. Yeah, no, he always plays I think, that. I think he gets auctioned off for two bets. I got him. <laughs> yeah, no, t- totally. Like he was kind of a punchline, uh, you know, unto himself in the 90s. I think Letterman had a running Chris Elliott bit. It might have been about the movie Cabin Boy. Cabin Boy. Never Cabin saw Boy. it. Yeah, I didn't either. I guess I get it confused with Cabin Fever, which is more of like a horror movie. Have you seen that one? No. <laughs> they just have Cabin in the title. That's Cabin in the Woods. I've seen that. I haven't seen that either. I haven't seen any Cabin movies. Oh, you should see Cabin in the Woods. All right. Good movie. Um. Anyway, let's let's keep moving with. It. Uh, we should I, make the plot synopsis. I'm go. putting my foot down. I've talked about this movie fifty times. Cabin in the Woods, I'm calling an audible. That is something I did want to say, Brady. I am going to give you your pick after we finish this episode because Ooh. I sandbagged you last time. I made you pick odds. Sandbagged me. <laughs> and then I totally killed you. I was you on to something and you Svengali'd me. Yeah. So anyway, he wakes up and um, with no explanation, by the way, and I was reading about the film this morning and going, uh, Harold Ramis, who helped on the script, and the guy who wrote the script, I'm like, uh, I'm blanking on his name. I thought Ramis wrote the script. Uh, Ramis directed. Oh, did he not write it? Right. Or maybe he produced. Oh, okay. Was he a Rita or was he a Chris? Um, <laughs> but at any rate, um, they toyed with the idea of having there be some like mystical person who was pulling the strings, like some gypsy dude. Uh, or sure. um, or like some curse or something, and they went, no, it's actually better to leave it Kafka esque, absolutely, you know, and just have it. It just happened, and there, there's because it, it adds that feeling of hopelessness of just like, right. Well, there's no rhyme or reason to this. I can't discover who's doing it, and then go talk to them and be like, yo, <laughs> knock it off. It just happens. Yeah, still, the, and the know. reason does not matter. I would argue. Right. And, but, I mean, it's just better to not have a reason. Yeah, I Because if, if it didn't matter, then you would have the reason, and then um, it, would, it wouldn't it would take away from the movie. I think it actually does take away from the movie to have a reason, so I think it's great that they made the creative choice not to. Absolutely. So, plot synopsis. He wakes up, it's the same day again, and he's pissed off about it. Yeah, and there's a... Goes through the same sequence of events. You know... Same people, uh, same places. One of the things, uh, one of the most famous quotes about this is the Dalai Lama called it the most spiritual movie ever made. Um, And what kind of adds to this spiritual feeling is he's kind of going through the cycles of denial, right? So at first he's just like, what, This, this is absurd, this is not happening, tries to get through the day again, doesn't work, wakes up, Groundhog Day once more. And he kind of processes from that, proceeds from that, through to kind of this anger, this frustration, and eventually he reaches a kind of ecstatic freedom where it's like, okay, fine, I can do whatever I want. There's no consequences to my life. That quickly gives way to uh, boredom, you know, just total uh, despair that, okay, this isn't fun anymore. I want out of this. And eventually, kind of in a karmic way, the idea is, well, get over these negative emotions and realize you need to better yourself. And so that leads to him trying to pursue Rita, except he does that kind of selfishly to begin. Yeah, right? I mean, first he just tries to trick her. Yeah, he's just trying to trick her. Well, he views... well, first he does it through, like, kind of being mean. Yeah, he does definitely he, he neg her. her. <laughs> yeah, he's got a copy of the game under his coat. Right. Uh, <laughs> game. Awful book. Uh, Ladder theory. Well, I actually don't know that. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> 
Uh, yes. It's basically the, the friend zone thing, but a different sort of... Oh, oh yeah. I think, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, no, I wrote down here that... It doesn't look like I finished it. I wrote down this cycle, which is shock, acceptance, revelment, manipulation, boredom, despair, loss of reason, despair, loss of reason. <laughs> oh, I didn't. So much that, despair, that, <laughs> which leads to him trying to kill himself multiple times, which right. does not work. He's been shot, stabbed, electrocuted. Uh, yeah. I'm God. I'm not the God. I'm a God. I believe it's uh, so, yeah. And eventually what he learns is the right kind of love, which is betterment of yourself, trying to improve the world around you, caring for the community around you. Uh, you know, and he also learns there are certain things, even with infinite days to live, that can't be helped. Like the homeless man who dies, who, you know, he just doesn't get to him in time to be able to save his life. So, yeah, it's, it's really this kind of spiritual journey about learning that you should try to help the world, learning your limits as far as being able to help the world and uh, pursuing a relationship, but doing it in a way that is fulfilling for you and the other person. Yeah. And it's a selfish man learning to be less selfish is really on the Dalai Lama track. Another way to put it would be um, the migration from the small soul to the larger one. Right. Because he goes to this small town where he's just like an island walking through the small town going, I fucking hate this town. And then he becomes part of the town. So and the town has its own little kind of ecosystem. There's the same people around. But it's, you know, it's just like a little small town. And um he, he becomes part of that community. So if you think of the town having a soul of its own, a larger soul than his, it's about the journey from the small soul to the big one. Right. Uh, which really requires the destruction of ego. Destroy the ego. Which, I mean, they do talk all the time about your egomaniacal, right? You're, right. You're an ego-centric person. Yeah, he, yeah, I would say he's a character that is basically defined by ego at the beginning. So did we get to the through the whole of everything that happens in the okay, movie? Okay, so, so that's the arc, and what happens is he finally is able to escape the time loop by basically being a selfless person, improving himself, making the entire town happy, and eventually, uh, yeah, Rita, Rita falls for him. They fall in love, and they get to go on and live their lives uh, in a new day. Yeah, well, well, okay, so... And they might buy a house in Punxsutawney. I'm trying to think. Is is when he's tossing the cards and, you know, she goes, it's midnight and it, it didn't happen and blah, blah, blah. Is that iteration the, the one nope. where... She, yeah. No, it's not. It's shortly... So he actually It's does, toward the end. So there is that thing where he does win and... and uh, yeah, he's given a little sign of hope from the universe right. in a way. And he and is able to get her... And it, it, that still doesn't make it That's stop. exactly yeah. when he goes into, like... That's when he turns the page and makes the right choices and starts really improving himself. He gets the piano lesson. He saves the kid falling from the tree. He helps the old lady motorists. He uh, saves the mayor's life when he's choking on a piece of steak. The real unsung victim in this is the, the, chick, the little girl who gets put out in the cold of her piano lesson. Because theoretically, he did that on the day when he did everything right, paid, paid the piano person a thousand bucks. Because she looks at him and goes, he's my student, you know. <laughs> if if this is all about actualization and getting the most beneficial course before you can escape the loop, I think Maddie made the argument, and I like this, that, all right, having now learned where the piano teacher is, he could now come back at the right time, still get his lesson, and not interrupt the little girl. Yeah, but the thing is, he probably didn't need the lesson on the last day. That's true. At a certain point, he would have And he still interrupted the little girl. <laughs> well, that that we don't know that. We know that he used the piano teacher, but I think that's because oh, okay. making the argument of this like benefiting the most people, I think it's good for the piano teacher. A, she gets like $2,000, and B, 1, she gets to help someone improve themselves and feel important. So and also, if he gives her $1,000, does, does he steal the money every day, too? <laughs> uh, I I always felt like he would stop doing that. Ah. That was part of his boredom thing, where it's like, okay, I can do everything. Like, let's just try. Let's explore every possibility of a being trapped of wind, in this world. A dog barks. <laughs> Quarters. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's that's the whole thing. Is it's like 
it is very serene and zen-like because it's about exploring every single possibility of a very, very small pocket of the world. Right. And then actually the final cycle where he does break it, though, we haven't gotten to that part yet, but there is, he's done all the things that he's found are good things to do throughout the town, right? Right. And then there's an auction at the end, uh-huh. which is that Rita actually values him. Right. Because of his journey from the small soul to the big soul. And she's like, wow, all, you know, I guess the opinions of the people in this place, that's what's important to Rita. Like, not just that you're a good person or an amazing pianist or an ice sculptor or any of these things, but more that you um, are appreciated by the people around you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the win, right? I guess that's that is the win for sure. It's uh, you know it's kind of a dance between selfishness and selflessness because by doing kind acts we do stand to improve aspects of our own life, but at the same time I think it's about uh, it's about a guy learning to want to do the right thing and to do it for the right reasons. And at a certain point he starts maybe doing more of the right thing, but he's still very ego driven in the way he does it. And so, yeah, it's like a, it's like a lesson, a lesson in humility. All right. Well, we don't. We can get more to that when we. We do don't need to belabor all this. But okay. First, we do the thing where we go. Hey, hey, hey! How do we like it? Brady, how do we like this movie? Love it. Um, this movie. Uh, there are two like kind of side stories to this movie that I think are cool and are part of its lore. One is the thing I mentioned about the Dalai Lama saying it's the most spiritual movie ever made. The other thing is this movie is like, I thought he just said it was his favorite. No, he said it's the most spiritual. <laughs> okay. Most spiritual, which is important. It's not just that he likes it. Like he's, he made a comment that people hadn't thought of about the nature of this movie. And that kind of transitions to the other thing. This is exhibit A1, uh, or 1A, whatever, uh, of a movie that achieves uh, its classic status over time. Uh, you know, Another one that comes to mind is Singing in the Rain. When it first came out, not nominated for, I don't think, a single Oscar, not viewed as this celebrated thing. A decade later, it's like, oh, whoa, this is like, guys, a... Uh, a masterpiece? Wait a minute. We kind of slept on this? We're Hollywood. We love making movies about ourselves. <laughs> Baby, toots. This has got hot jazz. What are we thinking? Uh, a feast for the sensations. Uh, okay. But yeah, this movie is the same way. Uh, it wasn't critically panned by any means. It was a well-reviewed, nicely reviewed movie at its time when it came out in 93 and the general consensus from the critical community was, yeah, it's clever. It's nice. It's a fun movie. It's a funny movie. It's cute. Cool. B. It basically got a B. And, and you give it a... Oh, I give it an A, and I think most I people now do, yeah. uh, because with a little time, people started to realize that what looked like a ramshackle, scruffy bill murray comedy uh had some pretty surprising depths to it right yes i mean well i mean let's put it this way um i think the b that it got is like it's the same kind of thing as uh my cousin Vinny, right where this is the three acts drama hollywood i I love Vinny, but this is even above like no it it is and i think i gave Vinny a b plus or an a minus or and i think it's packaging this is a rom-com right right it's easy to wave it off as that I think the reason that it got the B at the time is because there was sort of a uh, uh, a stigma of being, you know, we talked about this when we did My Cousin Vinny, the three-act structure where Act 1, everything in Act 3 calls back to Act 1 and so forth. I mean, this movie is slightly different because it's constantly uh, yeah, calling back it to it over and over again. <laughs> well, and because but, of, like we were, like I was saying about it kind of being structured almost in this denial cycle, it's... It's it's it, that that's the weird thing about this movie. It's like a western comedy, but structurally it feels like an eastern film, right? Yeah. I mean, it's But my point is the reason it got panned as a B is because it fit into that like it's a Hollywood three-act drama. Yeah. 
and and guy gets the girl. Yeah, guy gets the girl. Okay, B. Well, all those movies, B. My cousin Bunny, B. That like that's just how they looked at it. it was like it was a well executed, simple. Yeah, and I actually thing. think it's a terrifically directed and edited movie, but it's not ostentatious. So it was easy to look at it, and because it's not a movie of huge flourishes visually, it in some ways does resemble just a nice, charming romantic comedy. And it is. It is a nice, charming romantic comedy. Agreed. Um, so, yeah. Hey. Yeah. No, no. Absolutely. It's it's a classic. It is. It's a kind of perfect movie. Uh, yeah. And I wouldn't. That's the thing. I wouldn't apply any more directorial flourish to it. I think it's the kind of movie where performance and script are supposed to do the heavy lifting. Uh, even thematically, the idea that there's this like depth below this kind of cutesy surface, you know, it's about like probing into this world that you're stuck in. And at first it's like, Oh, this is cloying. This is just like this stupid hick town. And eventually it's about seeing that, you know, the world has depths that everyone has a story that you're not the most important person in the world. Like probing below its simple surface is kind of, of a thematic piece with the film. I would say. Agreed. All right, so I think we got that covered. Let's run away and do our understudy, and then we shall, um, you know, do what's it all about and talk a little bit bub it up. Yeah. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway So try to catch the actors Try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y Couch This game called Understudy Is happening, happening, happening Right now Now my book, White Hating Coon Doesn't have any of that bullshit The hero's name is Maliqua and he's a descendant of the black tribe that established the first society on the planet. Well, all you European motherfuckers were still hiding in caves and shit. All terrified of the sun. He's a strong role model that a young black reader can look up to. Because I'm here to tell you the chickens are coming home to roost, y'all. The black man's no longer going to play the minstrel in the medium of comics and sci-fi fantasy. We're keeping it real, and we're going to get respect by any means necessary. Bullshit. Uh, Lando Calrissian was a, a black man, and he got to fly the Millennium Falcon. Who said that? I did. Lando Calrissian was a, a positive black role in the realm of science fiction fantasy. Fuck Lando Calrissian. Uncle Tom Nicker. <laughs> some white boy gotta invoke the holy trilogy plus those movies are plus those movies are about how the white man keeps the brother man down even in a galaxy far far away check this shit you got cracker farm boy luke skywalker nazi poster boy blonde hair blue eyes and then you've got darth vader the blackest brother in the galaxy nubian god what's the What's a Nubian, Walter? Shut the fuck up. Now, Vader, he's a spiritual brother with the Force and all that shit. Then this Cracker Skywalker gets his hands on a lightsaber, and the boy decides he's going to run the fucking universe. Gets a whole clan of whites together, and they're going to bust up Vader's hood, the Death Star. Now, what the fuck do you call that? Intergalactic Civil War? Gentrification. They're going to drive out the black element to make the galaxy, quote, unquote, safe for white folks. Uh, but then Vader turns out uh, that he's, uh, he's, he's Luke's father. Uh, don't make me bust a cap in your ass, yo. Jedi's the most insulting installment because Vader's beautiful black visage is sullied when he pulls off his mask to reveal a zombie, a feeble, crusty white man. They're trying to tell us that deep inside, we all want to be white. Well, that isn't true. 
Black rage. Black rage. I'll kill any white folks I lay my motherfucking eyes on. Phil. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y Couch. Well, that was a good round of understudy. Very, very nice. I don't know what you're... Uh, it's all about in there, but no, uh, whatever. We'll cut that out. Uh, now we've mentioned it, though. <laughs> do you have a question? I have two questions. One, do you ever have deja vu? I don't speak French. Okay. <laughs> and two, my question is, what's it all about? What's it all about, Rip Burger? What's it all about? Well, do you have an answer to that question, or am I supposed to do that? I'll go. I think, because of the very nature of this film's plot, it, and this is uh, something that I think is good and notable, it's a movie where plot and theme are tied. That doesn't always have to be the case, but I always think it's cool when that can be, uh, because basically the plot is this guy needs to correct his behavior, become a more actualized person, to escape the time loop. And that's basically what the movie's about, too. The movie's about living your best life. It's about self-actualization. Um, and self-actualization, as I said, of a very selfless kind. It's not just about improving yourself. It's about the entire circle of what is around you. Your tiny part of the world uh, making it the best that it can be. It's also uh, like a, not a means to the end. Either. No, yeah. It's, it's, it's you have to better yourself. And you have to want to do it for the sake of it. And we are giving you no indication that this will end at that point. Like, it's not going to stop. It's pretty much at a certain point where he realizes that, like, it, okay, it doesn't matter if something's different or, or whatever. Or if I am going to get out of this, I have to live my best life for the sole purpose for of this is what I have to do is live my best life. I mean, there is the moment in there um, where it kind of it kind of telegraphs this. When it says, um, when he's dating Rita and blah, 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 and he's made this no angel, and he goes, like, you know, I don't care what happens or or anything. I'm happy right now. Yeah. Right, which speaks to the, the Dalai Lama thing of being mindful and being mm -hmm. able to enjoy this moment, be present at this time. So it's Regardless about the Oasis album, Be Here Now. <laughs> it's yeah, about they, they a magic a, pie. Yeah, and there's a car in a swimming pool. They're going bloody trip out when they see a car in the swimming pool. It's not a normal place for a car, is it? Yeah, they love us. They fucking love us. And we're going to spend some money on this uh, <laughs> photograph shoot. <laughs> I don't know Greatest what voice I'm doing Greatest moment in music there. history is still Liam Gallagher having laryngitis, too sick to play, shows up drunk, front row of the audience and heckles his brother through the performance. Oh, no, no fucking oasis. Oh, this is a bug eyes no musician. Yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> I'm sorry, Woodstock. Second place is perfectly good. And this very much reminds me of Groundhog Day. Very much. Because what's it all about? Heckling yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's about being a, a shit and then not being a shit. Yes. I mean, there is that thing, though. I don't I don't feel like he was quite so much of a... Sh like, I know that it's telegraphed. I keep using that phrase. I shouldn't. Um, I know that it's kind of stated in the movie over and over again that, you know, oh, he is an egomaniacal person and, and this and that. I don't feel like he's that bad. I feel like he's just your normal, everyday, average person who's less than perfect, right? He's... You know, I mean, he's, he's, he's not a war criminal. Yeah, he's not a murderer. He's not really... He's just a selfish no, man. Nothing very rapey. He's uh, a cranky, curmudgeonly, selfish man who communicates mostly in one-liner insults. Yeah. I mean, he's not nice. He's Make, not a nice person. Right. Making this perfect for Bill, Bill Murray. Murray. Yeah. You, I, yeah, it's almost impossible to imagine anyone else because... He needs to be believably dickish for the arc to make sense, but he needs to also be able to do it in a way that you're not checking out and Could, saying, fuck this guy from minute one. Yeah. Could have been Harold Ramis. 
He's too nice. He's too lovable. I think what you need is a psychiatrist. I can be a dick. I collect mold spores and fungus. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean... Actually, I always kind of wonder about Harold Ramis. Like, what's Harold Ramis like, you know, outside of his producer, uh, you know, uh, comedian, uh, National Lampoon self, you know? Uh, I don't know. It's out of school, always hard to say, but I believe his reputation, other than his falling out with Murray, is, he's pretty beloved. Oh, he had a figure. falling out with Murray? Yeah. They. Oh, yeah. It was sad. I forget what it was about, but... Basically, they didn't make up until Ramus was on his deathbed. That's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, it probably was shortly after Groundhog Day, time-wise. But yeah. Yeah, no, it's sad. Wait, wait, you mean that they they had their falling out shortly after Groundhog Day? I mean, I, I'm not saying literally, but that's, I think, around the time period was in the 90s, they fell out. Huh. And then Ramus died in like... Late aughts, something early two thousand. Yeah, he died. Um, yeah, no, not too long ago. He's in. He's in knocked up in two thousand seven, so he's still with us then. But I don't think it's long after. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, mm, Marge. Oh, Marge. <laughs> um. Yes. So anyway, so but we digress. So uh, this is a movie. Yeah, uh, that we thoroughly enjoy. This is always the problem with these movies. Like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit's like, you know, yes, we all agree and everything's, this movie's great and blah, blah, blah. And it, it's hard to find much more to say about it because we all agree on what it's about and it's fairly in the can. It's tight. You know? It's tight and loose. It's a wonderful paradox, this movie. <laughs> it is like totally your ambling comedy because if you're going to get Bill Murray, you're getting an ambling comedy. I'm sure the Ghostbusters people wanted Ghostbusters to be a focused little movie about busting ghosts. As soon as you get Murray in there, it's like, nope, I'm scribbling on this motherfucker. Of course, but that's yeah, that's what Bill Murray does. That's what Bill Murray does. I mean, he always had a reputation of kind of being an asshole, though, right? Yeah, no, no, he's a he's a difficult, difficult talent. I think. Well, I I think he's less so now, right? I think he when at the time he was like at the height of his stardom right. and stuff, and he like he he felt like he could do no wrong, so he was kind of not. Yeah, he was one of the biggest stars in the world at a time, and he he acted the way you might expect, right? Uh, and also, he's Bill Murray. You know his persona. <laughs> he's, I'm sure what's on camera is also probably off camera. Yeah. Which is what's, up, what's up, Bill Murray? Bill Murray? Uh, dude, if you gargle the oven cleaner. <laughs> I still haven't seen Coffee and Cigarettes. Oh, really? It's good. You should see it. I've seen one scene, which I loved. I saw the Molina scene with uh, Coogan and Molina, where it's like, I'm your cousin. I looked it up. Turns out we're distant cousins. Well, something else I was thinking about this movie, though, when we were watching it uh, on Groundhog Day, um, was if you think about it in a theoretical physics kind of way, that means that... So he's relative to... He's always in Groundhog Day and so forth and so on, but everything he does creates a separate reality where these people go off and... (laughs) You know, live their life. But, hmm, I wonder where he goes. I don't know. I was thinking about it in that thing, that each day that he lives it over and over again, that it's a separate universe. Could be, or it could be just the record resetting, which is weird because then those people... But then they wouldn't know, right? It would just like... That's what I... I I like to think that it's a bunch of realities laid atop of one another in this, like, one day... So that when you wake up for it, you probably get like a deja vu feeling of like, whoa, whoa. It's like, what's wrong? It's like, I feel like I just experienced a bunch of realities at once. <laughs> so it's just kind of like the, uh, the every time loop in Star Trek ever. In one of them, I like, was slapping Bill Murray a lot. <laughs> but why, Rita, you sound so manly. Uh, <laughs> uh, sure. Um, Rob? <laughs> so there's that thought. That I had, there's also, um, I, I think, um, when I had first watched it, 
you know, when I was a kid in 1994 or whatever, we rented it on video. And I remember we had a four head VCR. So like, um, sorry, two head VCR, which you could do slow motion on. Yeah. Okay. Something. Shit. I should, I should actually figure out what the mechanics of that is, but what it is, is if you had a special VCR that was able to do video frames at a more detailed rate, um, you could, so maybe it was forehead. I don't know. But, uh, we were enjoying playing backwards the, uh, scene where he stuffs the whole cake into his mouth. Because then it looks like he's just pulling the cake out oh, of his sure. mouth and it's perfect. <laughs> this is art. I don't even have to floss. I don't even have to floss. <laughs> but um, so, so when I saw it when I was a kid, I thought that it was a little less time than I do now. Now when I watch it, it's like, oh man, he could have been there in there for the equivalent of 100 years. Right. Actually, when I was rewatching it before this podcast, I was thinking for a second, maybe they initially thought, you know, Groundhog Day. And the reason it's Groundhog Day is it's like, sorry, six more weeks of winter. Maybe it's six weeks. Oh, sure. I but, mean, that would have been like, you know, clever, uh, yeah. a hook. But that, that and to be honest, that might have been what the guy thought when he was writing it. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then it just became something else. And he went, you know, that's not really important. Yeah, it's like once you've, that's like the scaffolding that helps you get the idea. Like, all right, now that we have this idea, like, let's let's play with it. Yeah, I don't think you could learn all the stuff he learned in six weeks, though. No, ice, fucking sculpt- way. ice sculpting, master pianist, uh, all all the multiple suicides, <laughs> yeah. robberies, but uh, and then also just knowing everybody in the town and their entire story. Right. No. No. It's it would take years. Right. Now the the whole thing is many years. I wonder I always I also wonder too if this movie is maybe an explanation for super amazing people. It's just like, oh, this happens to people sometimes and the reason he's so good at guitar and stuff and blah 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 or knows so much or or is that he's just lived more time. <laughs> or sure, he I mean, or she or they or Z. I covered it all, damn it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I that's true. Repetition is what breeds talent, I think. A lot of the really talented people have just yeah, repetitively... The 10,000 hours theory. Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. Well, shit. And that's how you become a god. Not the god. A god. I am a god. Ray, the next time someone asks you if you are a god... You say yes. Oh, nice. Nice tie-in. Yes. Ramus, too. Yes, Ramus as well. And, you know, oh, God, that was something I wanted to check, too. I was wondering if one of the voices on the radio was Dan Aykroyd. Uh, it does kind of sound aykroyd Yeah. Groundhog Day. I'm Could Dan be. Aykroyd. Could be. I mean, they're That's all friends, Dan right? Impression. Yeah. <laughs> I play a little blues harmonica for you now. I mean, wait, no, blues piano. Wait, what do I play? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At any rate, um, let's run away and do Metacritical. Okay. And then we'll we'll wrap up and and you and you we, can pick your your back. film. I can argue with you if I don't like what you're picking, but sure. But I'm gonna give it to you this time, Brady. I'm just going to give it to you. It appears to be my day. Good groundhog Rob. Day. Good Rob White and Carnivorous Couch gonna give it to you. Make my Groundhog Day. Alrighty. Uh, Metacritical. I played the theme song now. A Metacritical. Yeah. Rob's never gonna win. Never. Never. A Metacritical. Brady's the victor again. Woo-hoo. So it's time to play. I'm gonna lose today Metacritical, yeah, it's time Time to play Hey everybody, we're playing Metacritical That's what we're doing today, that's what we're doing right now This is a whole thing where we pick movies that are somehow tangentially related to either each other or Groundhog Day And then we try to guess the Metacritic score Once we guess the scores of four, then... 
we figure out who's closest overall. I thought you were going to rhyme it with four. I I rhymed score with four. That was enough. There's no need to make a couplet. Once you guess these scores of four, movies, movies, by the score. Oh, Christ, Brady. Oh, Christ. Um, all right, I have one to start. All right, what is it? Uh, let's go uh, with the uh, the often maligned actress Andy McDowell. Uh, and let yeah no she gets she gets maligned a lot. Uh, people say she's a limited actress, including in the movie that I'm about to name, which is 1994's Four Weddings and a Funeral. I actually like her as a presence. Um, in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Well, no, she's definitely the weakest link in Four Weddings and a Funeral, but I kind of agree she's a limited actress, but. I think I think her presence is nice. Well, I mean, her presence is always nice. She's got that sweet, fresh I'm angel just a, face. I'm just an angel-faced southern woman. I don't know what would be wrong with my presence. There is nothing wrong with your presence, Andy. Oh, heck, Phil. Other than I'm unsure as to why you're an Andy. You're just saying that because my name is Andy, Phil. Well, my name's Phil. Yeah, your name is Phil now, because Andy McDowell decrees What's the it. movie Four Weddings and a Funeral? Four Weddings and a Funeral. Best Picture nominee from 1994, Hugh Grant. All right, 82. 82. All right, now I'm not sure this one's even going to be in the books, but I'm going to go 77. 77, he says. It's a good movie. All right. The answer is no search results found. You need to add an S to weddings. <laughs> okay, I am remarkably very sad. I, I'm remarking upon the fact that I'm very sad about the fact... Okay, I typed four wedding and a funeral. <laughs> yeah, yes, you and did. And it didn't find... That is some horrible search correction. <laughs> I mean, what if English is just your second language and you say things like four wedding? Or what if I'm thinking about, like, four of the same wedding and a funeral? And then a funeral, right. What the hell? Jesus Christ, Metacritic. Okay, so the answer is 81! Well done. So what I had... You get one, I get four. And you're going to scribble that down on... Yeah, I'm going to write that on... Write that on the bed sheets. Uh, Don't write it on my bed sheets. I mean... We are getting I'm rid of those I'm going to tattoo it on my body so that I remember it. All right. Well, I'm going to go. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, when you said Four Weddings and a Funeral, the the uh, movie that came to mind, probably which has no actors or directors or anything related, but I'm just going with it anyway. Gosford Park. Good movie. Gosford Altman. Park. I haven't seen it. Bobby Altman. I know it's I know it's Altman, but I haven't seen it, so oh, that's great. It's gonna be it's gonna be a toughie for you. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess I'll go eighty. Eighty HD, or just a normal eighty, like a standard definition eighty. Standard, not a high definition eighty. No, no, I wouldn't glorify it. So it's just it's standard. Oh, all right. Um. I'm going to go with 71. Because hmm. hmm. I don't think the critics like Altman all that much, despite the fact that he's pretty fucking fantastic. Critics love Altman. But film to film, you never know. This is a critic speaking here. Over here, I'm pointing at Brady. This is a great pod. He is Visual literally cues. pointing. 90. Oh, yeah. Well, it is a great movie, so. I haven't seen it, so I wouldn't know. I haven't seen anything. What did you say, 71? So that's 19 for you, 10 for me. Oh, shit. I, I started out the gate doing all right, and then I got bummed out on my movie. <laughs> it's still close. Is it? Is it really, Brady? All right. Chitter chatter for a little bit and give a nice intro to your next choice as for what we're guessing on. <laughs> the, the energy 
in this studio is unhinged. It's almost as if we've actually been forced to play this game 2,000 times. And what you're hearing is the latest. No, we haven't been forced to play 2,000 times. We almost started to play. Now I'm worried about the sound quality. Alright, just because it'll throw me and no one's seen this movie except everyone's grandparents. Uh, let's go Helen Mirren and let's say Red. The Oh yeah, no, I saw that with my dad a little bit and I saw Red 2 which came on right after it because it was on TNT well, or HBO or Showtime You're in or for something. the franchise. Did you like it? I mean, it was kind of incoherent. Was it about old people doing old people doing, doing badass dirty. old people things? <laughs> okay, so Red with Helen Mirren. I think Robert Nero's in there, and is there John Voight being bad? It's Malkovich. Okay, well, it was a John of some sort. That's an old person. Is it Morgan name, right? Freeman too, or Morgan Freeman? You know, it's. Helen Mirren, the uh, face. Okay, I'm going to say the, the red got a nice... My problem is I got too much, like, freaking Rotten Tomatoes brain. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry to hear yeah, that. Because I'm probably dead right on uh, the way things are scored in Rotten Tomatoes, but just Rotten Tomatoes is kind of a sensationalized scoring thing. That's why we utilize Metacritic for this. Um, Well, you picked the movie, so I'll go first and say... 68. That sounds pretty good. I'll go 62. 62? Well, I can't do just 62. Willy Wonka. That's right. That was the reference. Okay, so... Comically, despite the fact that I typed four wedding and a funeral, I couldn't come up with anything. I have typed red, and now it's come up with every movie that has the word red in it, as opposed to sure what we're looking for. Because, God damn it, Metacritic! Oh no! <laughs> what year? Oh, it's like 2010 or something. 2010? Something like that. Okay, I found it. 60. Okay. Wait, what'd you say? 61? Two. And I said 68? God damn it. Correct. You're hosing me again. You hoser. Well, well right, yeah, I guess it's gonna I'm be starting really to... hard for you. What do you think the Metacritic score of The fountain is. The fountain. I think the fountain. Darren Aronofsky's ill-fated, but you know, good conceptually. And it was the movie he wanted to make, and you could tell he put a lot of heart and soul into it. Although every girlfriend I've ever shown it to has said, "You told me this wasn't sad," and I'm like, "It's not. It's about how death is a new journey." And they're like, "They all die, and it's horrible, and this date is over." <laughs> well, I'll just have to show the next one, The Fountain. <laughs> Here, Rob is doomed to show people The Fountain. Over and over and over again until... What would you do I get a girl if who the only movie that existed was years. The Fountain? And you had a bad date. <laughs> well, it's better than when I was going to go see Eternal Sunshine of the uh, Spotless Mind with Becky from Chicago. And uh, I had to take her to Cold Mountain because it was sold out. Ooh, that's that's a downgrade. A serious downgrade with a backflipping villain. And <laughs> she I, was feel, <laughs> I think we talk about that guy a lot. Um, I think he. I want to invite him on the cast. That somebody would talk about him that much. <laughs> Wait, keep talking. Keep talking. I need to see something. What movie are we doing? Oh, the yeah, fountain. The Fountain. <laughs> um, uh, 68. I finally got you to be loud, but now i got to taper you down a little bit on the, the board. That's why I was... No, don't taper me. Okay, I'm pulling back the curtain Give too me much here. All right. Don't clip 
Clip my wings. All right, the fountain. Brady, you have to guess first. 68. Shit. This is actually harder for me. Because I think it's a really good movie, but I'm pretty sure everybody hated it. So, 54. It was mixed, but people had a sense of like, well, this is very noble. Like, a lot of, as you say, heart is being put into it. Ooh. 51. Oh, damn. Yeah, I made up three points on you, but it's not enough. It's not enough to win. Let's see. So what did I guess? I guess 68. 68. And you guessed? 54. So you get three points. Yeah, I have a three-er and a one-er, but then you have... And then... Kind of close. Then I have... Did you say 51? Yes. So I bombed that one. Yes. You didn't quite bomb the first one, but I did way better. I think you're, like, in the lead now. Well, that was four movies. Okay, so one more. Uh, oh, okay, we're doing five? I yeah, introduced it's always it as five. Four. Okay, I introduced it incorrectly, sorry. Okay, so let's go weird with it. Let's go through Hugh Jackman, and let's do... What's that movie with Meg Ryan? I don't want to hear any more about Hugh Jackman. <laughs> but Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. <laughs> Sorry, that's uh, the Scrubs line. That's what I think whenever I hear Hugh Jackman's name. Um, sorry, you were asking a question about Hugh Jackman. I, my brain just went on I a have, tangent. I have two questions I need you to resolve. First of all, what, what's the name of the backflipping guy from Cold Mountain? I need to invite him on the cast. I think it's the same as the guy who gets killed by getting a, a ball of V2 gas put in his mouth in the rock. Okay, it doesn't help me. Also, I think I think he's too young to be that guy. You would think. You would think. But all that backflipping really takes the years off your face. <laughs> Definitely does. At any rate, you need to tell me what movie we're getting. Oh, okay. I okay, it's only one thing now. That this is good. This frees you up to do the real god's work, which is finding the backflipping guy cuz I thought of the movie and that movie is Kate and Leopold. All right, you're going to have to go first on this one. Because okay. I, yeah. I think... I know that's not kosher, but we're not Jewish, so... I think I think Kate and Leopold has a 55. If it exists in the system at all. All right, and I'm going to go with 47. Very good. Forty-four. Damn, Rob! I think you just won. Oh my God! Now find the backflipping guy. <laughs> I will, but you got to chatter. Okay, wait. I do have to add it up. I mean, this okay, is a all... little hum or something while you're adding adding it up because I have to turn away from the mic to type it. Th- we need a producer. <laughs> yeah, that would be sweet. Steve, where are you? Bring the goat and have him type this into the computer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, congratulations, that Rob. Is, that is positive. You win by... I know, it's terrible. Uh, you win by 10 points. 34 to 44. Uh, uh, bask in your victory, but first find me that backflipping motherfucker. He's blonde. Oh, shit, Natalie Portman's in Cold Mountain? Yeah, she's great in it, actually. she's She has a single scene. She's got a baby. She's a widow. And, like, some soldiers try to fuck with her. His name is Charlie Hunnam. He's Charlie fucking Hunnam! You know (laughs) Charlie Hunnam? Okay, yeah. No, Charlie Hunnam is an actor who is from, uh, you know, what's the biker show? Uh, (laughs) Sons of Anarchy. Yes. Um, I was going to say Lost Anarchy. (laughs) Often poo-pooed as a not-so-great actor, but in uh, 2017's Lost City of Z, he is tremendous. So, uh, tremendous. Still an actor to look for. Yeah, Charlie Hunnam. That's right. who he is. When Charlie I, Hunnam, get I, on the cast. I get to play the very special Metacritical outro. All right, Charlie, they're about to say some negative things about me. All of them are true. Amazing. 
It's terrible. It's as terrible as I prepared you for. Here it is. I'm metacritical. In your face, Brady. <laughs> so are we back? Yeah, we're back. We're just doing our closing thoughts on the uh, Groundhog Day. Groundhog, <laughs> Groundhog Day. <laughs> yes, we we covered that, and we thought that yes, indeed, that is Dan Aykroyd on the radio. That uh, it could be. Yes. It's very credible that it would be him. Well, I think we covered Groundhog Day pretty nicely. Yeah, agree, agree. You know, it's a story of the journey of the inner self to the outer self. Sure. Uh, and there is no mystical badass man who goes, yes, now you can go. You're fine. It's uh, you. None of that. You're it's just be your own mystical badass man. Exactly. That's what's going on on Metacritical. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> on Groundhog Day. You know, <laughs> show, show Andy McDowell a nice time. Stop saying she's a limited actress. You're not putting enough emphasis or giving enough credit to movie star quality. She's a beautiful woman with uh, with a real presence. And Heck, Phil, you just think that I'm a pretty face. I know that, Phil. Rob? News producers aren't actually like that at all. <laughs> not, what, what are they like? <laughs> well, I mean, like the bubbly ones are usually the ones who work the AM shift. And uh, the ones who are most like Rita are, they've usually been there for a while and they go on the remotes where you have to go to the stadium and then do it from like do the news from the 30 yard line for a, a two minute segment those are the ones who are like Rita but not when you're working <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're not as nice as Rita I don't know I'm talking out of my ass here I don't know that many well okay I know a few news producers but oh Jesus Phil you only know a few producers could we could we wrap up? Yeah, on we can Groundhog wrap Day up. and go this, to the next. This movie. is the dregs. What are we doing next week, Brady? I'm just gonna let you tell me. Okay, I'm going to let you tell. Next me. week, in the spirit of getting Rob to see more of last year's movies, because last year was a really good year for movies, we're gonna watch one of my favorites, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Veto. Oh, I'm not damn. Really. No, I'm not Trump. You know, this is good to know. <laughs> okay, we will watch and the Ballad surprising. of Buster How many times have you seen The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Brady? This will be my sixth time, and in a couple weeks when I review it, because it's coming up in my review, it will be the seventh <laughs> time. Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, I should watch it at least once. Sure, but but really watch it six times. Just it's like on a loop on repeat while I'm trying yeah, to get to sleep. Yeah, it's it's a six part anthology. There's, there's so nothing sad about this. Watch each, <laughs> watch segment. each part. Watch each of the six parts six times. Uh, it'll work out. Just yeah. Well, let's okay. Fine. I'm being unreasonable. Let's have you watch it the one time, and then. But really pay attention. But really pay attention. Okay. And then maybe, you know, when it ends, if you want to watch it a second time right then, you'll be a third of the way to watching it as much as I've watched it. Okay, well, this one can bait our audience fairly well, I think. Sure. <laughs> this is good. Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It's Netflix. Fantastic. Yeah, you can get it on Netflix. It's a fantastic movie from this most recent year. From the Coen Brothers. Completed. Not the most recent year we're currently in, because no. that's only... We're three months in. Yeah, and we're uh, early days for 2019. Yes. So watch The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and listen to our episode next week on it. Well, not next week. I mean, as you listen to this, it'll be a couple weeks. Sure. But it'll be the next show we release. Because I think you're busy next weekend, so it's not going to come out. And then yeah. th things are tough. Freaking real life is busy. Times... Tough times. Yes, but we're going to get it done, and it's going to be a phenomenal podcast. So, tune in with us. I don't know why we still say tune in. You don't have to turn the dial and jiggle it. What would be more accurate? Um, 
put us on your podcatcher of choice. You can find us at iTunes. You can find us at Stitcher. You can find us on Beyond Pod. You can find us on Google Podcasts. I'm pretty sure I've what done about a goddamn Podbean. good I use job. Podbean. You can, you can find us on Podbean. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Do I use like a janky ass pod site? No, Podbean's fine. Podbean is good. Uh, Sponsor welcome us to our Podbean. new sponsor, Podbean. Um, no, uh, you might have to search for Carnivorous Studios on Podbean. I think everything else you can search for Carnivorous Couch. Oh, oh I see. But again, like the Metacritical search query, <laughs> Metacritic search query, they're not playing our game. Um, yes. So search for us, Carnivorous Studios. We have more podcasts than just Carnivorous Couch. We also have Rank It and. There's at least one episode of Redbeard Rants somewhere back in there, and if you really search for Carnivorous Studios, you'll even hear some bonus content that I've released over the years that comes in there as bonus content podcast. Now, there's at least one last thing. When when you do the shout-out, I need you... I know we've probably mentioned at least someone in this episode. I'm sure they're a dear friend, they're good, but I need you to mention my good friend... My best friend, Sons of Anarchy, guy on the IMDb screen. Charlie Hummum, theme song. We called him Hummum. Now he's definitely not coming. Carnivorous <laughs> couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous Couch With Brady and Rob Cabin in the Woods, I'm calling an audible!